This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, we call him the Velvet Bulldozer. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain. I've been bulldozing your eardrums with my velvet tones for years. It's good to be seen. It's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are featuring Wicked Seas by Bonehook Brewing in Naples, Florida. Wicked Seas is a juicy, citrusy, and clean New England-style IPA by the very good and rapidly growing Bonehook Brewing Company. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And this week's beer was brought to us by these Wicked Schmott listeners right here. First up, a big thank you to our friend who we met at CrimeCon 2018 and I believe in again in 2019. So cheers to Melissa and Three Bridges, New Jersey. And a big We Like Your Jib to Jennifer C. and Parts Unknown. Next up, we have Lynn and Marv, a Navy family stationed in beautiful Japan. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Marv. Could be Lynn. Thank you both for your service. And a big shout to Haley in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Next up, a big cheers to Jenna in Gardendale, Alabama. And last but certainly not least, we have... We have Maria in Darien, Illinois. Cheers to everyone who took the time out of their busy day to go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and contribute to this week's beer fund. And last week we talked about nursing students, so a big cheers to all the nurses out there. Much love to you. For everything True Crime Garage, check out TrueCrimeGarage.com. Sign up on the mailing list. And that is enough of the business. I thought you were talking about nursing students. That would have been weird. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
We have all heard the cautionary tales to parents in this internet age. Don't let your kids spend too much time online. Know who your kids are talking to online. Be sure your kids don't give out any personal information. Make sure your kids aren't engaging in inappropriate behavior with people online. And explain to your children and help them to understand the difference between virtual relationships and real human connections. But what happens when your child is an adult? What happens when these cautionary tales are applied to a grown man who spends too much time online, who is talking online with a stranger, who does not have his best interest at heart? Then, one day, the online stranger wants more. This virtual friend requests just a little personal information. And how about some private information? And the two are exchanging inappropriate materials. Adult internet voyeuring has become its own form of addiction, as several websites stream live, amateur, and professional webcam girls, guys, and couples, generally showing nude performances and sexual acts. This has also established a new line of sex work, accessible to anyone with a computer. So what happens when someone confuses a virtual relationship for a real relationship and then it grows into an obsession an obsession he would kill for this is true crime garage Grant Amato was the youngest of three sons, sons of Margaret and Chad Amato. He and his brother Cody still lived at home with their parents, but their older brother Jason had moved into his own place. Jason was still close with his family and spoke with his mother about once a week. Where our story really takes off is when these three brothers are all grown adults, two still living at home with mom and dad. But let's back up for just a minute. Margaret and Chad provided a nice life for their three boys. They lived in an expansive home and had all the trappings of affluence, cars, video games, and horses. Yes, Margaret was a horse person. As everyone knows, the garage loves horse people. Yeah, centaurs. She adopted and rehabilitated a retired racehorse named Lady. And even after Lady died, she still went to the stables daily to work with other horses. Margaret worked as a client operations manager at a healthcare company. Chad Amato was a clinical pharmacist who worked for CVS and who also had a second job. He was a self-professed computer guru. One of his co-workers said that Chad was very proud of his sons. But there are rumors in this case and some references to it by two people close to the case that Chad Amato, the father, was a quite difficult man. Yeah, most computer people are. A side note, Jason, the oldest of the three boys, was not Chad's biological son. He adopted him when he married Margaret. This was way back when Jason was just three years old. It doesn't seem that Jason was as close to his brothers as they were to each other. According to Jason, 
they were known as the football family because they went to every Florida Gators home game together. But Jason no longer lived at home, and he had moved on with his own life. So the true brothers, not the half-brothers, Grant and Cody, they, they seem to be inseparable. Cody is just one year older than Grant, and they did everything together. They were on the weightlifting team together at Timber Creek High School and planned on buying matching BMWs and living in the family home well after their parents retired to their other house, which was located in Tennessee. One of their favorite activities involved shooting airsoft rifles and real guns as well. And you can see on Grant Amato's Facebook profile picture that he is trying to look like a militant badass with a big rifle. Mm -hmm. Cody and Grant were on a competitive airsoft team called Remedy. The brothers even went on to enroll in nursing school together, this after Grant graduated from the University of Central Florida. Even early on, it seems that Cody was somewhat of a caretaker for Grant. He had it all together, while Grant was more scattered. In June of 2018, Grant was caught stealing medication from his job at Advent Health, which is located in Orlando, Florida. Do we, do we know what kind of medication he stole? I'm going to get into that right now. The hospital staff noticed eight empty vials of propofol in two rooms where Grant was working. He had taken vials. They were worth together a combined amount of $2,067. These were taken from a storage machine that required a thumbprint to access the machine. He was captured on surveillance video, which was reviewed by the hospital after the propofol was discovered missing. He was seen accessing the machine and putting the vials in his pocket. This amounted to grand theft. Hospital officials confronted Grant, who told them, according to the police report, that, quote, he had administered the drugs to patients who were not being adequately relaxed by doctor-ordered medicine. In other words, he thought patients needed more drugs than what they were being given. So he wasn't stealing the drugs for him himself to use but to use on patients that's his statement that's mm. his story and he's sticking to it we right. don't know for for certain administrators believe that this was not the first incident of this kind that he probably had stolen these items before while being questioned a couple of days after he was caught stealing grant apparently said he was suicidal so the police were called this was on june 21st grant was arrested but they determined that there was not grounds to hold him under Florida's Baker Act, which allows an involuntary hold of people deemed to be dangerous to themselves. Mm -hmm. And for reasons that have never been disclosed, the grand theft charges for stealing propofol were eventually dropped. But needless to say, Grant was out of a job. He was fired. And as a consequence of this event, he was expelled from anesthesiology school as well. And his dad, who was funding legal representation for his son, well, he was out of a lot of money. This was money that was set up for Grant's lawyers. Yeah, but let, let's break this down a little bit. Because a lot of times if, if there is a conflict at work, even if it is stealing, they normally won't prosecute 
as long as they get the material back, we got the material back, we didn't lose any money, and we're going to then sever our ties with this individual by firing them. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's fired 100%. I don't know what their reasons f- were for dropping the charges. If you want me to speculate, my guess is they probably didn't want his defense of, oh, I was giving them to your patients right. to be in the newspapers. Whether that's what he was doing with them or not, we, we just don't know. Yeah. Stay away from the bad publicity. So Grant is unemployed and living with his parents. So what did Grant do all day now that he was unemployed? Of course, he did what any hardworking, able-bodied, 20-something American male would do. And of course, I'm being sarcastic. He spent his days gaming and watching porn. This on a site called Cam Girls. Grant soon met a webcam model named Sylvia from Bulgaria. Wait, hold on. Can you spell that website for me? (laughs) Grant began what he felt was an intimate relationship with this woman the virtual kind. Grant led Sylvia to believe that he was a successful, ambitious young professional gamer who had his own apartment and drove a BMW. According to the Orlando Sentinel, Grant spent about four hours every night online watching Sylvia dance and model, euphemisms for one-on-one virtual pornographic activity. And of course, this cost money. In fact, The woman's attentions to Grant seemed to depend on how much money he paid her. Grant admitted that her shows cost 90, that's nine zero, tokens per minute to view, which he purchased 5,000 tokens at a time for $600. He and Sylvia would video chat as well. Grant seemed to think that the woman was his girlfriend. Eventually, he began sending her clothes and sex toys, which... Sylvia would model for him, often in pornographic videos. How was Grant paying for all of this? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. First, hang on. Let me get out my porno calculator real quick. Yeah. So that's 5,400 tokens an hour. And times that by four hours a day or a night, that's 21,600 tokens a night. Hold on. My calculations say... That's a lot of porno. That's two thousand. That's two thousand five hundred ninety-two dollars a day, or a night. However, you want to swing that hammer. Mm-hmm. It would be cheaper to be addicted to meth. But remember, kids, don't do meth. Then, in December <laughs> of two thousand and eighteen, I, I apologize, Captain, but when I was reviewing this information and putting mm-hmm. together all the math, I don't know why, but it popped in my head. Out of all the things that you could be addicted to. This is a very expensive addiction. Yeah, well, I guess we'll know why our, our show won't continue. Um, the colonel got addicted to meth. Don't do meth. Then in December of 2018, Cody, Grant, and their friend Jericho, they went on a trip to Japan. Cody was very nice. He paid $10,000 for this trip. So Cody is paying for the both of them, for him and Grant. But when the boys returned home, this is around December 15th, Grant found that his father was very disgruntled that Grant still had not landed a job by this point. It's not clear exactly when the Amados found out that their son was involved in a virtual relationship with a webcam girl. 
Some news reports state that Margaret noticed mail showing up for Grant from Bulgaria. Yeah. And then was horrified that her son had given their home address to a to somebody in the porn business, let's say. Right. Uh, we can only imagine what that conversation was like. Unfortunately for Grant, though, it seems that his parents also discovered something else. At some point toward the end of 2018, Chad Amato discovered that some money was missing. And actually, this was a lot of money. Grant was stealing money from his own family. Grant told his parents that he spent this money to promote himself on Twitch. I, mm. Captain, I'm sure you could inform us what Twitch is. <laughs> oh, because I'm, I'm such a loser that I have all this time to do. Well, I don't know exactly what it is, so I thought maybe you might. Well, I don't know much about it. I've never been on it. I think people can be very profitable on it. There's many millionaires from it, and I guess what it is is that you, you're a gamer, and then people can watch you game. Okay. And then they can sense. pay for like a, a subscription. So um so there there are people that are doing very well. It's it's but it's kind of a the video game world to me, I haven't been into it since Super Mario Brothers, so I don't really know much about it, but it's it's huge. I mean you can uh so when he's saying I promoted myself or I'm this could turn into a profession. Not just a profession, but if if it takes off, he could become like a multimillionaire, like basically like becoming a YouTube star or something. Right. Like I was going to say for dummies like me, the, the simplest form, it's kind of a social media, Instagram meets YouTube kind of thing. Yeah. For it, gaming gotcha. primarily. Yeah. So the truth be told, though, that's not where the money went. He actually blew it all on his very expensive hobby or what I would call obsession with Sylvia. Yeah, but even if it went to promoting himself on this platform, it's a it's a big risk because to become a YouTube star or become a Twitch star, it, it's very difficult. So now, thus begins the family meltdown. Okay, on December nineteenth, two thousand eighteen, the Amados called nine one one. This was to report Grant was missing. He had walked out of the house after an argument with Chad and his mother was concerned because she, he seemed very depressed at this time. And she says possibly suicidal. In fact, Margaret told the sheriff's office, she told the deputies that she got a text from Grant saying that he was quote, really tired of everything and quote, and was quote, just going to handle it his own way. That's as much of the text that I have, but regardless Believing that he had been unsuccessful looking for work and had shown some instability in connection with the propofol incident. Right. And he's out of school. And now he's spending his days, like you said, playing video games and watching pornography. And if the family just knows that he's just up in his room playing video games all day, maybe not knowing too much about the pornography. But when somebody says, I'm tired of it all. And that's all they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that's a bad sign. Well, and you know, she has, his mother has other texts and other information, other conversations that were had that we're not privy to. So calling the police seems like a very smart motherly move here in this, this spot in December of 2018, Cody confided in his girlfriend Sloan that 
he was concerned about his brother. He was concerned that Grant was going to kill everyone, is what he said. When Grant left the home that day, he took refuge at the home of his aunt. This is Donna Amato, with whom he was very close. She later said that he was looking lost and depressed. At her house, Grant slept during the day and stayed up all night. She and her husband hid all of their guns while Grant was with them, having been warned by the Amatos that he was possibly suicidal. While Grant was staying with her, Donna's bank account was hacked and strange charges started showing up. At least that's what she thought. Right. She came to find out that the nephew she had taken in stole her credit card information, and she wasn't the only one. According to the Orlando Sentinel, pictures of credit cards belonging to Grant Amato's grandmother, uncle, and one of his cousins were found on his computer. Upset and betrayed, Donna called her husband's brother, Grant's father, Chad Amato. Totally out of character, Chad broke down on the phone. He told Donna that he had been forced to remortgage the family's home to cover $150,000 worth of debt racked up by Grant. Donna says, quote, he told me on the phone, yeah, I'm going to have to work a few more years than I thought I'd have to, but it's okay. I'll do it for Grant. I don't want him to go to jail. Furthermore, other family members called Donna, urging her not to press charges. In fact, it was Cody who promised to pay back any of his brother's fraudulent expenses. So how much debt did Grant Amato rack up? He stole $150,000 from his parents. He stole or spent $60,000 of Cody's money and then stole and sold Cody's guns. He stole an unknown amount from three other relatives. In three months, Grant Amato spent over $200,000 to interact virtually with Sylvia, who was thousands of miles away. So the Amatos had a family meeting while they decided what to do about Grant. While they made up their minds, family members took shifts outside of Donna's home to be sure that Grant stayed on the premises. Then on December 22nd, the Amatos waylaid Grant in Donna's driveway around 3 a.m., a intervention of sorts. And Chad Margaret and Cody drove him to a voluntary rehabilitation clinic in South Florida. His commitment form reflects that his entry there was voluntary. Grant's family agreed to pay the $15,000 for him to obtain a 60-day treatment. While Grant was at rehab, Cody and Chad hacked into Grant's computer to see exactly what he had been doing online. They discovered his carefully curated online identity as a successful professional gamer. Chad contacted all of Grant's online friends and told them in no uncertain terms that it was all a lie, that Grant was a poser, a fraud, and a fake. He actually lived at home and he had no job. And in what was likely considered the ultimate betrayal by Grant, they conveyed this information to Sylvia as well. They told Sylvia, the webcam girl who thought Grant was a sugar daddy, that in fact Grant was a fired nurse who lived with his mom and dad and stole their money to pay for 
his new obsession. Grant only made it about two weeks in rehab. He left the facility and came home on January 5th. When he returned home, there was a new set of rules. Chad sat Grant down at a California pizza kitchen in Waterford Lakes and showed him a two-page list of rules. Grant would have to agree to them if he wanted to remain in the home. His other options were, according to Chad, to move out or to join the military. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, yeah, I get to working and stop your jerking. Well, this laying down of the rules, this kind of thing that a parent does, you typically see this for a rebellious 16-year-old, not a 29-year-old man. Now, among these rules, Grant had to get a job during the day and stop spending his entire night online. He was not permitted on the Internet after midnight. He had to come up with a written personal recovery plan and submit it to his father. Uh His phone service was cut off. He was forbidden from watching porn and was required to go to therapy. He was on his own financially and had to repay the $200,000 he had taken and issue apologies to his family. Yeah, it's just a mess. Very sticky situation. A cover note on the rules page said, quote, this is critical as Grant through his past transgressions has relied on the knowledge the family would not report him and would cover him. Family relationship abuse beyond tolerance. This is a promise. You better heed the warning. It's real. But the rules contained one final rule that Grant no doubt considered a deal breaker. He had to end things with Sylvia. He could not contact her again. If he did, he would be kicked out of the house. The last line reading, quote, you chose a stranger, physically non-existent over family. And he also put his family in almost like financial jeopardy. Grant agreed to the rules and the family returned to normal. It seems that things improved for a bit. Jason says Grant seemed better when he got home and Margaret had told him that Grant was acting like part of the family again. But sometime in January, Margaret confessed to a friend at the stables about the difficulties at home. She said that her son Grant had stolen quite a bit of money from the family. Margaret clearly had a soft spot for her youngest son. Almost certainly unbeknownst to Chad, she allowed Grant to continue to message with Sylvia via Twitter using Margaret's phone. Now, it's possible that Grant used her phone without her permission, but told her it was for legitimate purposes. It's not known whether Margaret knew that she was helping Grant break the rules. And it's not known whether Sylvia was receptive to Grant's continued contact with her considering he couldn't pay her. But either way, on January 24th, Chad somehow found out what was going on. Chad tells Grant, you've ruined my retirement. And he ordered Grant to leave the house. Then Chad left for work. Grant started packing up his stuff. Meanwhile, Cody was at work and his girlfriend Sloan said he had to leave after conversations with people at home around 9.15 p.m. But before he left, Cody told Sloan he had to go home to deal with, quote, stupid fucking bullshit. In other words, family stuff. The evidence keeps pouring in. 
At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem. 
and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. On Friday, January 25th, 2019, the Seminole County, Florida Sheriff's Office received a call from a Chris Cisco. Chris is an employee at Advent Hospital in East Orlando. Chris told the dispatcher that he was concerned because his friend and co-worker, Cody Amato, did not show up for work and was not responding to his calls and texts. According to Chris, who worked for years with Cody at the center, he says Cody never so much as came in late to work, much less not show up at all. Yeah, well, he had a lot of bills that he had to pay for. Well, and Cody was always, he always had his phone with him, too, so this is even more concern. Yeah. The two were actually supposed to meet for coffee that morning, but as said, Cody never showed up. Chris also worked with Cody's girlfriend, Sloan, and she was equally concerned. Deputies obtained the address of the home Cody shared with his parents, Margaret and Chad, and headed over to 2112 Salton Circle to perform a welfare check. This was at 9.17 a.m. Upon arrival, deputies announced themselves as they patrolled the perimeter of the large three-story home. The home sits on multiple acres, and this looks to be a pretty nice neighborhood with big houses and far-stretching property lines. So police are knocking on doors and announcing themselves, and no one is responding. This in spite of a car in the driveway, and they could see two vehicles sitting inside the garage, including the car that was registered to Cody Amato. The deputies tried calling the cell phones of the residents, having obtained the phone numbers from Chris and Sloan. Of course, these calls are going unanswered. The five doors to the home were all locked, and disturbingly, the windows on the first story of the home were covered on the inside by paper. This fact, plus the cars being there, and the unexpected absence of Cody from work, as well as the sheriff's office history with the home, was sufficient grounds for concern. Deputies even resorted to using an air horn. You know, the burp, burp. Yeah. That's not a good air horn. That was really bad. All right, Nick, you're fired. All right, well, see you guys next week. Well, I won't see you again. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you never know. You could get better at your air horn. Start my own show. Um, They were using an air horn outside of the home, in case people inside just, they weren't hearing them. Right. Uh, but again, this is still just met with silence and stillness. Finally, after receiving permission from higher ups, deputy Todd Motorson 
used a knife to pry open the lock on an exterior door to the master bedroom. Uh-huh. And a deputy outfitted in tactical gear proceeded inside, followed by the deputy. One of the first things that they saw was the body of a man. And he appeared to be older. He's lying on his back on the kitchen floor. As a later affidavit in the case would state, there was much blood around the man's body that it was, quote, inconsistent with life. The crime scene photos show a lot of pooled dried blood in two separate areas of the kitchen, as well as drag or claw marks through the smeared blood between the two pools. Okay. Later, it would be determined that this man had been shot twice in the head. Lying partially in the blood was an open, insulated lunch bag with a fork tucked into the netting on the lid. There was damage from a bullet in one of the cherry kitchen cabinets. Two chicken cutlets were defrosting on the counter as if someone was preparing a meal. Two bottles of water and a cup were sitting on the kitchen table. So from that picture, we paint that picture to show you what was going on or potentially going on. This man, this person was killed in this location of the home, and it appears that somebody was just going about their normal everyday business of maybe preparing a meal or putting together a lunch. It's a lot of blood. Yes. Yeah. The deputies proceeded further into the home and discovered two more corpses. One was a woman sitting at a desk in the home office. She was slumped over her computer, clearly shot in the back of the head. And the other was a younger man dressed in scrubs, curled in a fetal position, lying on the floor at the entrance to the garage from the home gym, which is off of the kitchen at this house. Yeah. He also had been shot once. This time he was shot in the face. A backpack was on the floor near the body. Deputies noted right away that there were weapons in plain sight that could have been used in these shootings. In fact, one weapon, a Glock, was strapped in a holster on the right hip of the older man on the kitchen floor. And a second gun, a 9mm Smith & Wesson M&P handgun, was lying five feet from the younger man. Yeah, I believe they find four bullet casings. And so there's two by the older man and then one by each individual other than him. Yeah, each of the other victims. So they appeared consistent with the handgun that was found on the floor near the Mm. younger man's body. And it looked very much like this was the weapon that had killed all three people, according to the deputies, including the younger man near the garage who was the closest to the gun. Mm -hmm. This kind of appears to be a classic murder-suicide situation where we have the son of the dead couple and had some kind of confrontation with his parents, killed them, and then shot himself. Right. Indeed, it was quickly confirmed that the deceased were 30-year-old Cody Amato and his parents, 61-year-old Margaret and 59-year-old Chad Amato. Except, Captain... Deputies perusing the crime scene were very observant and had reason to be skeptical of what appeared to be a simple and open and shut murder-suicide case. 
Yeah, well, the other question here, too, is we have three of the individuals that live in the house, and we know that there's four individuals that live in the house. This was not the first time that the sheriff's office was at this home. So they they know that four people most of the time reside at this home. Right. And so things look hinky to them. Furthermore, where, where is this other person, right? Why, if, if there's four that live in the home, why is this other person not a victim? And if he's not a victim, then where is he? So the very smart sheriff's office, they, by late Friday afternoon, they put out a bolo, a be on the lookout for a person of interest in the killings. This was for five foot, 10 inch, 120 pound, 29 year old Grant Amato, son of Margaret and Chad and brother to Cody. Yeah. He was not on the premises, although he was known to reside in the home and his phone had been disconnected. He was thought to be driving a white 1996 Honda Accord DX with the license plate number L1GH7. And he was to be considered armed and dangerous. It's not clear how detectives knew this, but news reports from January 25th state that detectives believed that weapons were missing from the Amato home. Mm-hmm. saying, quote, it looks like this wasn't a random act of violence. It looks like the person responsible for these murders was known to the family, and we're going to do everything we can to get this person in custody very, very soon, end quote. That was from Sheriff Dennis Lima. It didn't take long for cops to catch up with Grant Amato. In fact, by Saturday, just the next day, they had subpoenaed his easy pass records, to narrow down the location of his vehicle. They patrolled the area, and his car was spotted parked at a Doubletree Motel in Orange County. This is brilliant, and we don't have a lot of tolls here in in Ohio. Actually, I I can't really even think of ever going through a toll in Ohio. But if you have one of these easy passes, it kind of records your movements, you know, what tolls you've gone through and how recently you've gone through them. Yeah. So what they can do is basically look at a map and go, okay, well, he has to be somewhere in this general area. This could be a fairly big area that we're talking about, but we have reason to believe that this vehicle, this Honda Accord that we're looking for is somewhere in this general area. So you, you tell everybody, all of your patrolmen, everybody in squad cars go out there. And while you're out there protecting and serving, let us know if you see a 1996 Honda Accord DX with this license plate because we're looking for this dude. And I cannot stress enough the the how important and how correct the term armed and dangerous is in this situation. If you believe that the person of interest is the fourth member of the home who is not found at the home when all three of the others are found killed inside of the house... And it appears two of the victims were armed themselves. Right. Not only did this perpetrator, were they able to kill three individuals, they were able to do it in a potential, uh, it could have been a potential gunfight. Yeah. Well, we know that this individual practices in a virtual world. The police, they spot this vehicle, his his vehicle, and find it at a Doubletree Motel in Orange County. Sure enough, Grant was in a hotel room there. 
He was taken in for questioning, but was not handcuffed or placed under arrest at that time. Deputies had put it together pretty quickly that they had been at the Amato home before, actually recently. Seminole County Sheriff Lima said in a statement on Friday the 25th, quote, we had a call that I am aware of back in December of an individual suffering from depression. So this brings us to Saturday, January 26th. Yeah, now we have Grant Amato sitting in a room at the Seminole County Sheriff's Office, and he's talking with investigators. Now, mind you, he's not under arrest, just investigative detention at this point. Right. And he said he was fine with talking to the investigators. In the seven hours of interviews, he pretended to be forthcoming about what had been going on in his life during the past three months. He told investigators about the missing money. He admitted that his father gave him an ultimatum and required him to go to rehab. He told investigators about the rules that he had agreed to, to continue living in the home. But he says on the night of the 24th, Chad confronted him about his continued contact with Sylvia and told him he had to leave the home. Grant told detectives that Cody had been there when he left, when Grant left the house that night and that Cody had promised Grant that he would try to smooth things over. So Grant's story to the detectives at this point kind of sounds like, hey, I left last night, and when I left, all three of them were there, and they were fine. Right, but and also setting up a confrontation because his brother is saying, hey, I'm going to talk to mom and dad and try to smooth this over. Yeah, he's going to let them kind of maybe take the bait and run with it, for a little bit. But the problem here is they're not going to take the bait because three hours in to this sit down meeting, right? And any investigator would find this to be very suspicious. By three hours in, Grant had never asked why he was there or what had happened to his family. It kind of seems like he already knows why he is there. Right. He, and he, he already knows what happened to his family. So what you're saying is he, he tried to be slick and say, hey, I left the house last night. Yeah, they told me I had to leave. Mm-hmm. I left. My my brother was going to talk to my parents, and, and maybe that's when there was a confrontation. But he doesn't know what happened to the parents or shouldn't know what happened to his family. And like you said, he never brings it up. Yeah, he says that he saw on the news that something did happen to his family but he hadn't tried to find out what. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's how some of the interrogation proceedings from there went on. And this is according to the Orlando Sentinel. You can see the, and I know you've watched it, Captain, but you can see this, what I would call interrogation video online. Now, we have a detective here that opens a folder. Wait, hold on. I'm surprised on how small he is. Yeah. You know, he's almost 30 120 years pounds. old. Yeah, I mean, he's very small. So in, in one scene that you could see online, a detective opens up a folder with crime scene photos. So she, the detective, placed a picture of Cody's body in front of Grant hmm. and asked, did you leave the house with your brother Cody looking like that? To which Grant covered his face. The detective then pulls out two more photos and she asks, or did you leave the house with your father looking like that or your mother? 
Is that how you left your family? Yeah. No, Grant says, but his voice is breaking. You can clearly hear his voice breaking during this. She goes on to ask, who did this to your family? And then Grant looked at the photo of his mother at the top of the stack and then covered part of his face. He says, no, I didn't do any of this. Investigators asked Grant if he had any remorse. According to the arrest affidavit, his response was, quote, his family had been blaming him for months for ruining their lives, stealing and not following the rules of the home. So he might as well be blamed for this too, end quote. He had originally told detectives it took a few hours for him to pack up his things and that he had left the house around 9.30 p.m. His family was just fine at that point, he said. In fact, he said he met up with Cody outside the neighborhood to tell him what had happened. But he changed his story when pressed, saying that he left closer to midnight and his brother was home at that time. He claimed he spent the night in a parking lot of a nearby Publix before driving to a morning job interview off of Lee Vista Road. The detectives told him Cody and Chad Amato could not have shot each other. Crime scene investigators had come to this conclusion after making some observations about the crime scene. They asked who else could have killed his family. I don't know, Grant said. I've been getting blamed for the last half of a year for everything. And I've been trying to move forward in a positive direction. And then every day I am reminded of all the trouble that I had caused. And then I keep being told the same thing over and over again, that there's nothing I can do to change it. Grant continued to deny that he was responsible for the murders, but acknowledged that he was the only one with a motive and with the opportunity to commit them. Yeah. So Grant, well, and this is, this is a smart thing here too. Grant is allowed a private meeting with his sole surviving brother, Jason. And I think a lot of people, maybe the name Grant Amato doesn't ring any bells when you see the title or you see the show notes. Yeah. You say tomato, I'd say Amato, but when you hear this portion of the story, this is when you're going to go, okay, I, I know this case, or I remember seeing this case in the news. Grant was allowed a private meeting with his sole surviving brother, Jason. Video and audio footage of this meeting is available online and yeah. has probably been seen by most of our listeners. While Jason embraces Grant when he first enters the room, it is clear that he is fairly certain that his brother killed the rest of their family. Jason tries to talk to Grant about, you know, what, what happened. Yeah. And Grant tells him, dad kicked me out because I broke the rules. I didn't stop talking to that woman, but he reiterates that he left Cody, Chad and Margaret alive, leaving the house around 1230 AM by this point. Notice his time keeps on changing as we get further along. Right. After loading his stuff into the car, this is when he left. Jason isn't buying it. He says to Grant, if anyone was going after someone in the family, it would be you who would be the target. Meaning these other yeah. three wouldn't be dead. You would be the one that would be dead if somebody went after our family or someone in our family. Well, and just think what you were saying before. I mean, he goes into the room and he embraces, and this is his technically his half-brother. He pretty much believes that 
and cops believe at this point that Grant is responsible for his whole family being murdered. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've, you've seen the depression, you've seen the addiction, you've seen um, possibly this kid that once was good. And I, I call him a kid because it seems like he, at this point, even though he's approaching 30, he hasn't grown up any. So to be able to embrace him on one side to say, well, I love you and care about you. I know you're hurting, but hey, our family is gone and you're responsible. I think I'd have a very difficult time um, embracing that individual. You know, Jason's not buying any of this jazz that Grant's trying to sell him. And he says, he says this before getting up and walking out of the door. He says, I'm going to pray for you, brother, because I can't pray for mom, dad, or Cody anymore. Right. Now, Grant was released on the 26th. The detectives are going to have to build their case in a different manner because he didn't confess to anything. Mm-hmm. So now they're out talking. They're going to continue to talk with Jason, with his brother, Jason. They're going to talk to Cody's girlfriend, Sloan, and anybody else that they can speak with. Jason and, and Sloan, they both told investigators about Grant stealing the money from his family. They tell them about the whole Sylvia thing, and they explain all of the problems with Grant over the past few months. And Sloan told detectives that Cody told her that he was afraid that Grant would kill everyone. Now, eventually, Grant is, in fact, arrested. And the arrest affidavit filed in Grant's case provides a glimpse into what exactly crime scene investigators found to be suspicious about the murder-suicide theory that was going around and led them to believe that the tableau at the Amato home was, in fact, just staged. Right. For one thing, they found Cody's body next to the closed internal door to the garage, but there was no blood on the door jam and frame, indicating that it had been open when Cody was shot in the face. The affidavit states, quote, based on the gunshot Cody received, he would not have been able to close the door after he had been shot. Right. Cody had clearly been moved as well. The pool of blood that had come from his head wound was actually found at his feet, and there was almost none on the floor where his head was positioned. The autopsy findings on Cody sealed the deal. According to the affidavit, there was, quote, no possibility that Cody's injuries were self-inflicted. Further, they observed from the blood spatter, blood smears, and bullet marks on the cabinets in the kitchen and on the tile floor that Chad had been shot first while standing near the cabinets. He had crawled to the other side of the center island and then been shot a second time in the back of the head execution style while he was lying face down on the floor. Wow. The bullet had entered the tile floor. But Chad was found three feet away on the kitchen floor on his back, clearly having been moved as well. Margaret was at the desk, shot once in the back of the head, and had not been moved at all. So if Chad was shot in the kitchen by someone who later moved him, and Margaret and Cody did not shoot themselves, the obvious conclusion is that the shooter was a fourth person, someone who had accessed the home without 
breaking and entering. Well, and like you said too, I mean these these crime scene photos are are pretty bad, and and a lot of times when you see a, a murder take place in a tiled area, you can see you know the blood smeared everywhere, and but you can see the tile underneath, or it's very mm-hmm. transparent, and there's sections that you can't see the the tile at all. It's just this very dense puddle of blood. So Grant is arrested and charged with three counts of premeditated murder. Now, when he's arrested in his possession, uh, they find a pair of leather gloves and credit and debit cards belonging to his father and brother Cody. Right. He also had with him a his passport, leading investigators to speculate that he was planning on trying to leave, possibly to meet Sylvia in person. In Grant's car, they found a handwritten note that appeared to have been written from Cody Amato's perspective, which said, Grant, I'll take care of all of your problems. I just need you back. I can't live without you, brother. I said I'd take care of all of your problems at the house, and I have. No one will bother you again regarding this. Just please come home. I can't do this again. If you think I'm part of the problem here, then I've really lost you, and I can't take that loss after everything. When detectives pushed Grant about this strange letter, he admitted that he himself wrote the letter from, quote-unquote, from Cody. Right. But he wasn't able to provide a satisfactory explanation as to why he would write this letter. It seems that this might have been a further way to push this, this whole scheme to frame Cody for the murder suicide theory. Well, it sucks because they were so close and his brother seemed to go to bat for him time and time again. And to not only commit these murders, but then to try to put the blame on the brother that helped you so many times. Now the trial, the murder trial would start in July of last year. And we really learned a lot about the state's case against Grant Amato during the trial proceedings. So their case was Grant Amato killed his father, mother, and brother in a premeditated murder spree so he could take all of their money. They state Margaret died first, shot in the head from behind as she sat at her desk. Cody and Chad were not home when the first murder occurred. Grant shot his father in the kitchen after he got home from work and was possibly cleaning out his lunchbox. Grant shot Cody in the eye as he entered the home. They say Grant spent several hours at the home with the bodies as he staged the scene to look like Cody had been responsible for a murder-suicide. I'm not going to get too much into the defense side of things because I really found it kind of blah. You know, it just really wasn't, they they didn't try to claim that he was insane or temporarily insane. They didn't really push that he was abused or drug addicted or mentally unstable or anything like that as their defense. Right. Or their narrative. Yeah. Right. So I'd really like to know what the conversation between him and, and this, um, virtual girlfriend was and if in any way she was pushing him in this direction at all. Mm, I I wouldn't think so. I mean, it would seem extreme. 
I think what we have here, Captain, is it, it, it was more one-sided. It was on his end. If I can't log on each day and talk to this person, now I have a huge problem. I don't think she cares one way or the other as long as he's buying these tokens right. and spending money day after day. He's not. Well, I, I don't know this to be certain, but I, I feel very strongly about this. He's not her only customer, let's say. Yeah, but he has a BMW. Okay. Which in his case would stand for. Well, the thing is, the the thing here is, um, I think that the defense was fine with floating out the murder-suicide theory and, and letting that be a possibility, right? Because if you can't get past that possibility, then you probably shouldn't convict this guy beyond a reasonable doubt. Beat meat whacker is what it stands for. So during the testimonial phase of the trial, some interesting information came out. The 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 four bullets that were used to kill Chad, Margaret, and Cody yeah. did not come from any of the handguns that were found at the house. The four shell casings found at the scene did not come from the gun found near Cody. They came from a, an unknown weapon that was never found. So we think that Grant moved that that weapon somewhere or disposed of it somewhere. Well, that in itself really pokes a big giant hole in the murder suicide theory. Yeah, the the murder think? weapon that was not found at the home. Yeah. Right. So it what, disappeared. Now what the state is saying is that Grant planted the bullet casings to make it appear that Cody shot his parents and then shot himself. Right. Also, I mean, this is all good science stuff here. There was no blood found on the gun near Cody's body. Also, the holster that was on Chad's right hip, they found a, a gun holster on Chad's right, Chad's right hip. Uh-huh. They could prove that it was placed there after his death because there was a spot of blood found on his pants under the holster, which would have been impossible had the holster been in place the entire time. Yeah. You know, when he was shot. So he wasn't even wearing the holster is what you're saying. Correct. And after he was murdered violently murdered then the individual which we believe is grant put the holster back on him yeah forensic investigators testified that there was no activity on margaret amato's computer after 4 45 p.m so on this on thursday january 24th so since she was found dead at her computer prosecutors asserted that she had been killed first while she was working on the computer and she and grant were in fact home alone. They believe that next Chad was killed when he got home from work this around 5.30 p.m. Finally, Cody was shot in the face when he arrived home from work sometime around 9.30 p.m. Prosecutors introduced evidence showing that Chad Amato logged into his USAA banking app on his iPhone using the fingerprint reader at 12.08 a.m., on the night he died while prosecutors weren't able to establish Chad's exact time of death. The implication was that Grant had used his dead father's finger to unlock his phone in order to access the banking information. The sheriff's office crime scene manager. uh, This is Christine Snyder testified that Chad's right index finger had been cleaned of blood, presumably to use the fingerprint scanner. Crime scene tech testimony at the trial stated that when Grant Amato was arrested, remember they found that pair of leather gloves 
those gloves tested positive for gunpowder residue, GSR. Were they able to test those gloves to pull DNA from them? Um, I know where you're, what you're getting at. Um, yeah, it's called DNA. Right, right. Getting at DNA. Do we have DNA evidence here? Well, this, this is interesting, and this shows the level of what I've been referring to as addiction or obsession, right? So according to the prosecutors, Grant used Cody's credit card to pay Sylvia more money this just within hours after his family was murdered. He sent her $600 while sitting in his car in the public's parking lot in the middle of the night as his family's bodies lie cooling in the home. See, that's why I just think there had to be some kind of conversation with her about at least about the conflict between him and his family. Grant's defense, I mean, yeah, they worked hard to try to establish some kind of reasonable doubt, but it only took the jury eight hours to convict Grant Amato of the first degree premeditated murder of all three of his family members. Right. Grant stood emotionless as the verdicts were read aloud. In the end, the jury decided against the death penalty handing down a sentence of life without parole. If you would like to listen to some more True Crime Garage, I would. Check (laughs) us out on the Stitcher app, and also check out our bonus show called Off the Record. And until next week... Be good, be kind, and don't litter. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over, thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.